Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Wednesday the 3rd of June. Well, I hope you are all enjoying the sunshine. If you're in the right part of the world for some sunshine, it's always a big topic in England because we get so little of it. So, uh, yep, definitely enjoying the beginnings of summer here. And I've got a, a kind of summary, entertaining interview with Lara Solomon, who is an entrepreneur in Australia who's created uh, an amazing success story around a product called Mox. Her story about how she got her product made and sold and branded and into retailers uh, and she's sold over two million now worldwide is a fascinating one and kind of typifies the highs and lows that many of us face when we're running small businesses. So definitely well worth listening to Lara, who's a very engaging character, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Other than that, um, thank you all to those of you who have uh, continued to join our Facebook group. Uh, Very nearly over 2,000 people there now on the Small Biz Pod Facebook group. So head over to smallbizpod.co.uk and uh, click on the Facebook button there. Uh, Also, uh, by the time this podcast comes out, um, I will have announced the seven... Uh, the top seven uh, of the Small Biz Pod 7's contributors, the, the, the most read and most voted on of whom will win an iPod Touch and also £100 to a charity of their choice. So, uh, yeah, that's very cool. If you want to contribute seven tips on a topic that you know well, that you think other businesses would find useful, head over to smallbizpod.co.uk forward slash sevens. Uh, again, check out the the site, and uh, it's all all the details are there. So uh, that's all good stuff. But uh, none of this would be possible without Small Biz Pod sponsors, and I'm so delighted that this month um, XLN Telecom are sponsoring Small Biz Pod. XLN basically focus on the UK small business market, and they offer amazing deals on business phone lines and phone calls guaranteed they've got over 110,000 UK small business customers and uh, they reckon you can save as much as 40% on uh, on your business phone calls and, and line rentals so really really well worth checking out not only that they're another one of these sponsors who I really love having because they have an amazing entrepreneurial story of their own um, only founded in 2002 uh, by Christian Nellerman um, and Anthony Caribbean, they have grown phenomenally, um, and they've been voted, you know, the Sunday Times uh, top tech track company uh, for a second consecutive year in two thousand and eight, um, and a, a great business. And I think you know they've got a great product too. So if you want to cut costs, cut the cost of your your telephone calls and line rental then XLN are dedicated to UK small businesses, as I said. And I'd encourage you right now to go and check out smallbizpod.co.uk and click on one of the XLN telecom banners there to suss out how you can save. Uh, Other than that, uh, I've got a, a cool summary piece of house music to conclude the show. But now let's go straight to that interview with Lara Solomon. 
Okay, well, uh, it's not every day that you read a book or you receive a book that is is claimed to be a cross between a kind of uh, Bridget Jones diary and a, a Richard Branson how-to on business. And the woman, the extraordinary woman who's written this book uh, is Lara Solomon. Now, uh, Lara's story is quite an extraordinary one, but she's also learnt and experienced many of the uh, common pitfalls, successes and uh, delights of running your own small business. So I'm delighted to welcome Lara to Small Biz Pod today. Lara, hello. Hello. Mox. Yes. <laughs> how? How how does that idea come about? Where did you where did you spot this opportunity? Well, I was actually in Thailand and I saw something similar being sold on the streets there. And at the time, you if you wanted to have a cover for your mobile, you had to buy the exact cover that fitted the make and model of your phone. And I found that really frustrating. So um, when I saw this, I really loved the idea that they were so stretchy that they could one size could fit all. Um, but the designs that I saw and the quality I saw in Thailand wasn't very good. And nor was the there was no branding. So I decided that I'd come back to Australia and um, design my own. And that's all very well said and done, and mm. quite, it's quite it's quite a simple idea, isn't it? Yes, yeah. But actually, turning that into a into sort of mass production, um, and then branding it and selling it and getting it out there is a whole other challenge. How did you address the kind of the the, the getting it made issue? Well, I actually went online and um, found a couple of well. There's two main sort of websites you can go to, Global Sourcing and Alibaba, and you just type in there what you're looking for. And I kind of thought, well, baby socks are small and mocks are quite small. Mm -hmm. So I typed in baby socks and it just comes up with hundreds and hundreds of suppliers of socks. And then it's just a case of contacting them by email and then um, talking to them on the phone and then getting samples sent over and basically deciding from all that communication which ones, which company you wanted to work with. And um, did you have to get into the sort of nitty gritty of actually providing them a spec or, or did they manage to develop the product around just uh, some, some initial sketches and conversations? Yeah, um, I told them the size I wanted and I kind of drew it for them. But um, and I getting over the fact you didn't want to heal and stuff was yeah. a bit of a challenge. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, they were pretty, pretty um, good at just doing what you wanted. They they're quite flexible over there, especially if you draw something. So pretty, a pretty straightforward process then? Yeah, although I have to say, like initially the first supplier, I'm on my third supplier, the first supplier I had was um, great, but he said the quantities were too small for him. So I then had a second supplier who started off really good, but the second supplier was a middleman, so he went between me and the factory. And yeah. um, I got to a situation where... Um, an order it was actually a UK order was eight weeks late because and he kept telling me oh it'll be tomorrow tomorrow and I was just like that's not going to work and um, yeah. so I tried to call him and basically for eight days I couldn't get hold of him so then I actually had to fly out to China and try and get something done and actually then I arranged to meet with nine different suppliers face to face while I was out there to mm. find my next one and mm. the person I now have I have a fantastic relationship with. And uh, I mean, obviously, in the very early days, when you're when you are a, a, a new startup and the brand and the product hasn't really taken off, um, you might think, well, trips to trips to China are, are, are kind of a, a massive initial overhead. Mm. Uh, would you recommend, though, in hindsight, doing that kind of face to face meeting first? 
I would, I think, because the girl um, I now sort of deal with and have been working with for three years, she works for the factory. And, you know, I went out there, I went out to the factory with her, which is a three hour bus ride at the time. So, you know, you do quite a lot of chatting on that. And then you went around the factory and then we ended up playing ping pong in the afternoon. <laughs> and, um, and then we got back to Shanghai and went out for dinner with her husband. And so I got to know her on a personal level as well as a business level. And yeah. um, as a result, I just went out to China again in January this year. And, you know, they treated me fantastically, you know, and she's just had a baby and she now wants me to name her son with an English name. Oh. And, and it's quite, yeah, it's quite amazing. It's much, I now think looking back, it's much better way to work, even though, yes, it is uh, an expensive trip. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, but you, of course, weren't always an entrepreneur. You weren't necessarily, well, you may have been born an entrepreneur, but you didn't, you didn't discover your talent until later in life, perhaps. Um, I know that you, you worked for a number of uh, really large uh, kind of brands and companies in the kind of corporate branding marketing area, mm. um, SC Johnson and the like. Yeah. Now, um, a lot of listeners, and I've been asked a lot uh, by listeners to this podcast, how do you make the jump from corporate life to running your own business to starting up what 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 did you experience in making that move that kind of surprised you or that you weren't prepared for or that you wish you had been prepared for um well i didn't leave my job until i got to the stage in my well, i'd already started doing my business on the side and it was till i got to yeah. the stage where i just thought i actually need to do stuff nine to, in the 9 to 5 because I need yeah. to talk to people. So I didn't leave until I got to that stage, which was about, oh, I'd been doing a couple of months sort of while working as well. Um, but when I first started, I actually, I just loved it from day one. I never really found it difficult. I guess the only challenge is when you initially work on your own, it's, you know, if you need someone to courier something to you, you've got to hang around and wait for the courier. So there's those kind of logistical things. But yeah. apart from that, I mean, I was married at the time and my husband thought I would just stay home and watch daytime TV all day. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that just, you know, that didn't happen. But um, yeah. I just, I found it, I found it very easy. I absolutely loved having the autonomy. I loved to be able to work when I wanted to work. And yeah. no, I don't, there's nothing really that I found difficult. But I think in some ways I had it a bit easier than maybe other people in the, you know, at the time I was married, my husband was supporting me financially, although I had a part-time job. I was, yeah. it wasn't, I didn't have that financial pressure, although we did agree that if I hadn't earned any money in the first year, I had to go back and get a proper job. So, <laughs> yes. um, so I paid myself a huge $2,000, which is about well, less than a thousand pounds, um, yeah. on the last day of the year. So that kept him quiet. <laughs> it's funny isn't it how often that happens when partners say when you used to work yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you if you've quit uh to set up your own business that's quite funny early yes. on um okay but obviously you have you, in terms of something like the mocks it's mm. it's got to be all about branding hasn't it and you i know that you have obviously vast experience having launched various products in your corporate life mm. Uh, you must have carried that branding and marketing experience through to make a success of Mox. Mox obviously had no, you know, it didn't exist before. It had no big brand backing. It it it, it was just launched into a into a uh, a vacuum, if you like. Um, how what, what kind of how did you think about branding for Mox? How did that develop? And uh, and for for listeners who are less 
au fait with branding? What sort of things do they need to be thinking about? Well, I think the first thing is actually thinking of your brand name. So I spent a long time kind of tossing around ideas, brainstorming, and I came up with the word mocks because of mobile socks. Because I thought yeah. further on, if I decide to do, you know, like say socks for cameras or socks for anything, any other kind of gadget, but I want mobile still works as in it will go anywhere kind of mobile. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thinking of a really good name is the first step. And then designing a logo was the next one and basically coming up with something that was striking, that was memorable and that was easy to use for on the mocks obviously the logo is knitted but we also had to use it in print um we also had yeah. to be able to use it on the website so that kind of thing was important and then i basically had a really really small budget so we're talking like probably about 450 pounds was my budget in the first year so next yeah. to nothing so then it was just a case of thinking of ways that i could get the brand out there which didn't cost me anything or if it cost me anything it just cost me time so mm. I spent a lot of time phoning, like when I was trying to get the product into stores, I was obviously phoning a lot of people and telling them about the product. And then I was sending out samples and information to people. Um, and um, I also did some press releases and I wrote them myself. And um, yeah. I made them interesting. So like the first one I did was a phone, I, a phone shape. I'd laminated it. And then you opened the phone inside were more pages all about mocks. And then I put the phone uh -huh. in a mock and sent that to journalists. And yeah, yeah. Um, it's a funny story, actually, on that. Um, there's a newspaper here called Sydney Morning Herald, which is probably the biggest newspaper in New South Wales. And um, it's a daily. And they have yeah. a technology section. And in this section, I thought it was a great place for mocks. So I send one yeah. off to the technology editor. And, you know, what you're supposed to do with PR is phone and follow up. So I phone and follow up. And the guy says to me, do they really think this is going to sell? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well... It's my business, and yes, I do. And he was yeah. gobsmacked, absolutely gobsmacked. Yeah. He said, oh, my God, I'm going to be struck down by lightning on the way home. I can't believe this. I'm just so embarrassed. I'm really sorry. And I oh, just kept was so apologetic. But it was great. Yeah, yeah. I got a fantastic article in the paper. So, uh, <laughs> so he thought he thought you were just some PR flack. <laughs> yes, basically. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. actually doing that, calling around, even though it's quite daunting and can be quite difficult, it's it is a really good way to get your brand known. Um, and the other thing I used to do was I made my own T-shirts with the Mox logo on them, just white T-shirts I bought and got those iron-on transfers and wore those around. I yeah. uh, I put the website address on my car and drove you know whenever I was around, yeah, yeah, people could yeah, see that. So yeah. I did quite cheap things um i bought i had loads of button badges made and i got people to write in with a stamped dress envelope to get a free badge so all i was paying for was the badge yes and i got rid of something like 1500 badges in a month people loved that getting something free even though they weren't yeah yeah yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. Actually free um so <laughs> just doing things oh, like that really um really cheap things just to get it out there i mean my first website i did myself and front page very very basic yeah. so just doing things that you can just start to generate the interest was really the the big thing and just telling people about it and you also find that your friends and family are obviously most of the time your biggest fans so mm. giving you know i had one friend that you know she'd get in the taxi in a taxi and before you knew it she was talking about mox the taxi driver and she was like that with every single person she met saying yeah You've yeah. got to know about this product. It's my friend Lauren, it's fantastic. And, uh, so 
just kind of getting you kind of kind of create these kind of to use a horrible marketing term these kind of brand ambassadors i suppose yeah definitely definitely so um and there was a funny time actually i did a did spring fair in Birmingham a couple of years ago and um, my mum and dad came to help me on the stand and you can imagine everyone thought it was my dad's business and mum and I were just the helpers but um, (laughs) my dad went round the whole spring fair handing out cards and stickers and mocks to people and you know we're going into restaurants he's handing out mocks to the waiters so just doing that kind of thing just really just he doesn't have to be expensive I haven't ever done thing TV advertising wise and it's really just all been PR and product giveaway type things yeah and I think it's uh, I mean I think that's all that's all really good to hear because there are so many businesses who who just looking looking at a kind of market or looking at launching something new just think I I just we know we're going to need massive investment Mm. and being able to just start one step at a time because you've sold over what is it over a million mocks now yeah globally yes over a million yeah so you know from from asking people to write in for a free button badge to 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 where you are now it's quite some journey in just four years I think isn't it yeah four and a half years they can still get a free button badge as well (laughs) okay um at some point of course that those you know those early you know telling your friends and and handing out, um, you know, giving away badges and so on and so forth is it, it gets you so far. But sooner or later, I guess you hit a point where it really started to to, to take off in terms of volumes, um, and your efforts in terms of marketing and PR and, and brand awareness kind of hit a point where uh, it, it kind of scaled up. Tell us about when that happened and kind of how you dealt with it. So it probably really, it actually probably happened quite early because, I mean, I left my job in the March of 2004 and we launched the product in August 2004, but I was busy calling people before I actually got the product in my hands and sending them pictures and stuff like that. And then um, in August 2004, we were selling in 17 stores. By the end of that year, we were selling in 200 stores because we got a chain on board. And then it was in the January of 2005 where everything kind of took off because we actually did a promotion with a magazine here where we gave away 45, yeah, 45,000 mocks. We stuck to the cover of a magazine Um, and we actually gave them the mocks for free and they gave us in return a lot of advertising um, in the magazine. So I actually went away for over Christmas and this came out I think something like 2nd or 3rd January and I came back to something like 450 emails from girls going oh my god these are so great I love them <laughs> and it was absolutely hilarious and I was just gobsmacked it took me like I don't know eight hours to answer all these emails and I decided yeah. at that point that that was what I wanted to do I wanted every single person answered if they asked us anything and mm-hmm. um And then from that, all the people I'd kind of called beforehand then kind of came back to me over the next few months going, we've actually seen this product out there. You weren't lying when you said you were going to do stuff and you actually now want to take it. So it was probably that start of that kind of um, promotion I did that kind of got things going. And um, a lot of people, I found a lot of the big chains, especially, they don't want to be the first person to try it because, you know, if it goes wrong, they look bad. Whereas someone else already done it then they're quite happy to do it so that was another thing which is really annoying because you're like i know this is going to work so you know can't you just give it a go and they're like oh no no we don't want to be the first ones yeah 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 yeah. Mm. 
But that's when your own kind of self-belief in, in kicks in, I guess. Yes. And I never thought right from the start, I never thought it wouldn't succeed. And it's funny now looking back, I just, it never even crossed my mind. And there was times when, I mean, the first sort of cash flow projection that I did and budget I did, I came out and I said to my husband at the time, I said, oh, we're going to make $4 million in the first year. He's like, okay, great. Is that your uh, best case scenario? And I was like, well, yeah. And he's like, well, do you think you maybe should work on a kind of worst case scenario? And I was like, mm, yeah, good point. And went back. And of course, we didn't do four million in the first year, but it was um, yeah. all just a you know huge learning curve. But um, it was that whole self-belief. And I think it's the self-belief and the passion in your product that comes across. And, and I know people have told me the reason, a lot of the reason they take my products is because I am so passionate about it. Yeah. But ultimately, customers, you know, the punters out there have yeah. got to want to buy it in the first place. Uh, got to want to buy it at yes. some point. However much you get it out there, someone's got to want to buy it. Yes. Um, now, who, who you mentioned kind of you had a lot of emails from sort of younger, maybe female audience. Is that kind of primarily where your your market is? Is it a kind of youth? Is it? Is it a youth product, as it were, you know? Well, our primary target audience is females aged 10 to 18. But um, we've now actually changing through launching kind of a few different products and also through we we bring out new designs every three months. We've now kind of managed to expand our audience kind of to older female, probably up to 40. And then we've also... Sorry, that's my mobile. Um, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> and we've also um, managed to do different designs to appeal to boys. Like, for example, just before Christmas, we bought out the electronic mocks, which are for things like um, PSPs and DS lights oh, yeah. to appeal yeah. to more male audience. So we've tried to, although we started with female, like teenage females, we've tried to expand the range as we've been growing over the years. Yeah. Now, there is one question that I th- that, that kind of always occurs to me when you've got a when you've got a product that is is kind of catches on, uh, particularly with a younger audience. Do you not fear that sooner or later it's just going to people are going to say, "Yeah, mocks were so two thousand and seven or two thousand and eight," you know, and 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 it's just gonna they're just gonna kind of become less fashionable or less the kind of thing that that young people want. No. <laughs> basically okay <laughs> um i think through doing like uh, product innovation so we've done things with like googly eyes on them so the eyes have moved we've done things with diamantes on them and we've got sparkly thread we've got licensed ones um that we've been doing so i think through yeah. innovating and bringing out new products that that keeps people's interest in there so the idea is you everybody needs a mock there's millions of people in the world. We've got a massive market that we can um, yeah. appeal to. And I can't see, you're always going to need to protect your phone. No one's ever going to move away from mobiles now. It'll always be something. So as far as I see it, there's always a market. That's, uh, I think that perfectly <laughs> demonstrates your whole passion and determination. I will succeed forever. That's right. Is basically yes. it. Yeah. We're going for yeah. world domination. <laughs> yeah. But every but everyone knows you've got to have are you are you you've got to have some kind of um diversification of products haven't you or are you going to stick to your knitting <laughs> well no we've actually bought out the twisters which are for your headphones they're a headphone tidy oh, okay. they just came out in january um so we're now um looking at different products that still fit with the brand and still fit with how people use their mock but that can be an added benefit kind of to them so obviously if you've got an ipod you can wear the mock on your ipod and then you've got the twister to put your um wrap your headphones on so um 
No, we're, we're kind of expanding, but it's quite funny because whenever I talk to people about my business and they say, oh, what do you do? And they say, so what else do you do? And I'm just going, that's it. <laughs> they're like, you've got one product. And I'm like, yep. They're very surprised. But it just shows that you can do it. You don't need to have hundreds and hundreds of different products. So and we've got four yeah. products now. So, yeah, it can be done. You're clearly passionate, obviously, about your product. And, you, and as a result, you kind of come, you're a natural saleswoman to that extent. But how hard was it? And one of the key, key breakthroughs for any um, product is to get it in a, in a chain of stores. And mm. you mentioned that you, you got it into that chain. Mm. Was that one of those situations where you persuaded them or where they waited to see how the, how, how it, how the business or how the product evolved and then said, yeah, okay, now? Um, well, no. I mean, what, basically, when I started out in Sydney, like I said, I had 17 stores. But how I got those stores was I basically, they're all small stores. I just basically went out and visited them, showed them product. I then, I also at the same time called every single mobile phone store in Australia. So went through state by state. Believe me, there yeah. is thousands of these things. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and then with the chains, I found out the buyer's name, sent them information, just kept phoning them and phoning them. And in the end, this one guy arranged, said, okay, yeah, come and see me. He was in Brisbane, yeah. which is a thousand kilometers away. So I flew up to Brisbane, which is about an hour and a half. And, um, had a meeting with him and he was like oh you know I don't know you know it's nice to see new products and everything and um but one thing that one thing that he liked and one thing that other people I met afterwards liked is that I'd actually thought about what I was going to do with this product I hadn't just kind of gone along and gone hey I've got this product do you want it I'd actually said okay I've got this product do you want it but I'm going to promote this product by doing post. I can offer you posters in your stores. I can, I've got this yeah. website. I've got this, I've got that. And this is how I'm going to help you sell my product into like yes. to your consumers, which is basically what they want because they have so many times been sold products where everyone goes, Oh yeah, it's going to be the next greatest thing. But when yeah. it gets into store, no one wants it because they just throw it in the store and leave it. And so this guy, I basically twisted his arm to get him to do a trial in seven stores out of 150 and yeah. um, said, look, if you don't sell the product, you know, I'm not going to charge you for it. And if it doesn't work, just keep what you've got. And um, but after I think it was about six weeks, he said, no, it's selling really well and put it in every store. And is that do you think that's down to sort of the point of sale? I think it's stuff down, behind the scenes. Yeah, I think it's down to that point of sale stuff. I think it's down to like at that time I'd already started doing some PR, so he'd actually yeah. could see that I had got out there and you know I showed him the couple of newspaper articles I had and things, and I think also the fact that basically I took away all the risk for him because yeah the, the only thing that he was wasting was time and by basically placing the order and putting the codes in his system and then I was sending him the stock and then if he didn't sell yeah. it yeah. You know, I'd take it back, and if he did sell it, he'd keep the money if he decided not to go with it. So it was very low risk for him. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a fantastic tip, actually, for, for anyone trying to sell mm-hmm. into to, to, to the big retailers or chains like that. Um, finally, I, I, I asked this question, but to be honest, I don't think it makes any much difference, but you may, you may correct me, you may, you may have a different okay. view. Being a woman, uh, starting up your own business, is it? any different to being a bloke starting up your own business not that you'd know necessarily <laughs> <laughs> let me just make it very clear you yes, have always okay. been a woman yes thank you yes, I, have. Um, I i i think it depends on the industry 
um, the yeah. industry, like the telecommunications industry, which is where I started selling mocks into, um, is very male dominated. And so you get a lot of people, a lot of blokes saying, well, what am I going to do with this? And they don't, they, they don't necessarily see that their consumers that come into their shop are women that would buy this. Yeah. So you've yeah. got, to, got to get over that hurdle and get them to understand that, okay, you may not like it, and, but your consumers will like it. And look, I've done this quick survey and I did some surveys. I did like, I used to live by the beach and I walked up and down the beach one afternoon and just asked people, what do you think? Would you buy it? And then I actually used that, that information as well. So when I was talking to these people going, well, look, I interviewed 150 people and, you know, 74% said they'd buy it. Um, which yeah. kind of helps persuade them as well. So I don't, I think it, I don't think being a woman makes any difference. People ask me this, you know, do you like have to turn on the charm and stuff? But I yeah. don't think, I don't think that makes any difference. I think it just depends on the people you're dealing with. So, yeah. No. I, uh, yeah. Good. Okay. And uh, the name of your book is Brand New Day: The Highs and Lows of Starting a Small Business. Okay. What was your low? Oh, my low. Oh, there's been loads of lows. Um, most of my lows have been um, because I've made expensive mistakes. So uh, just because I didn't know what I was doing really, and I was just kind of fumbling along, finding my way. Um, so I think probably one of my lows was uh, when I actually exported um, mocks to New Zealand for a magazine cover mount, so to put on the front of a magazine. So I gave them the mocks for free, but I filled yeah. out the um, invoice that went with them incorrectly so when it got to new zealand there was duty and taxes to pay seven thousand oh. dollars like about three thousand pounds worth and this was yeah. in 2005 so when i was really early on in my business and basically i said to the customs guys but i've done it wrong and they went yeah we hear that all the time and i'm like no but i seriously have done it wrong they went well <laughs> we're not going to change our mind so i just had to pay it so it actually cost yeah. me a lot of money to do that promotion and that was probably one of the things which kind of um struck me as yeah i've learned from it it's uh, great uh, yeah and a high a high um there's been loads of highs as well uh probably one high was when i which was early on as well when i went to flew to new zealand and i met with the buyer um for a distributing chain over there and uh, i'd only only i just flew over for the afternoon new zealand's about three hour flight away and um yeah yeah they just said okay yeah we'll order five thousand I was like, what? <laughs> I, I felt like I hardly had to do anything. I was just like, what? And this was um, in March 2005, so it had been going nine months. And yeah. it was like my biggest order ever. So yeah. that was very, yeah. very exciting. But this real, like today we just got our new range in of six new designs. And for me, that's real high because I love yeah. seeing them actually come to life. So it, yeah, yeah, I get yeah. a lot of them. It's great. Okay. Well, I heartily recommend Brand New Day. Thanks ever so much for uh, for coming on Small Biz Pod. Thanks a lot, Lara. Thank you. So there we are. Uh, very engaging character. I, I'm sure you enjoyed that one. And, and a great story, another example of somebody starting off from home in their spare time whilst doing their, their main job and turning it into a really uh, fabulous business. So good stuff. Thanks, Lara. And uh, now... Whilst we're on a on a high, let's go into a kind of summary house track. Um, and this, thanks to Iota Promonet, is from uh, the Ananda Project, who are very well known, Heather Johnson and Terence Downs, and it's a track called "I Hear You Dreaming." <laughs> 